Good morning to the sanctuary. Man, what a privilege it is to be in Austin. This is about as good as you can get it without the torchies. And I am so glad to be here with you guys. And I want to say to Pastor Melvin and Pastor Lisa Reddy that it's a high honor to for Brooke and I to be able to be included again with your weekend services. And of course, we wish we were there with you, but we look forward to sooner times than, than later where we can be together and be with you in Austin. I want to say to the great church in Cedar Park how much we appreciate that we've been able to get to know a little bit of your story. Brooke and I have been there to your campus and seen your beautiful building, and our church has been able to know a little bit about your ministry there in Cedar Park in Greater Austin, and of course, the Reddies have been here and ministered to us and for us here in Ohio, and we want to thank you for you sharing your pastors with us and a little bit of your story. I'm excited to share a little bit of the word of the Lord with you today, and we're going to pray together, and so as there in your homes, if you could join with us and pray, I ask you to open your mind and your heart. Let's see what the Lord would say to us today in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we rejoice because it is because of the cross that we have found mercy and your grace. But God commendeth his love toward us while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We rejoice in that grace today. And we ask you, God, give us direction that we can move forward into our purpose in Jesus. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to talk to you this morning on a subject of a nurse's regret. In the last stanza of 1 Samuel, much has happened. As we creep up to our text, we find that this once mighty army of Israel has fled from Philistia, being slain in Gilboa. The Bible says that the Philistines have killed Jonathan. Saul, the king, is struck by arrows from archers. He's sorely wounded. And not having the courage to face his imminent end, he turns to his armor bearer and asks for the cowardly way out that he would take Saul's life. He turns the offer down and so Saul falls on his sword. The armor bearer follows his king's lead. The Armies of the Philistines find this now disgraced king. They cut off his head. They exhibit his armor in Ashtaroth. And amazingly, they take the headless body of King Saul and they nail it to a wall in Bethshan. What an unbelievable end to this important book of 1 Samuel. The king of Israel, dead and disgraced. The armies of Israel, defeated and fleeing. And here we are now, shuffling up to 2 Samuel as we turn the page, both literally and figuratively, 
to the life and the reign of King David. David, of course, mourns the loss of Saul, his predecessor, as well as to some regard, his mentor. He is anointed as king of Judah in chapter 2, king of Israel in chapter 5. And he has many children in Hebron. Abner revolts, and then Joab kills him. And so David now comes sitting alone with the power centralized to begin this 40-year reign. A man after God's own heart. This shepherd that was made a soldier. This soldier that was made a king. He now would begin to rule over the people that God has placed as his own. But there is quite a lesson in our text in 2 Samuel chapter number 4. If you have your Bible, meet me there. We find that David is abundantly aware that he will have enemies, that he will have to, def- he will have to fight and he will have to defeat. I want to tell you this morning that there is no more important realization of every child of God than to understand that we have an enemy. It was quite the words that the Lord would give us in the book of John. As Jesus would tell us at the hand of the beloved, that the thief cometh. Those words, well, they are sometimes read quickly. They are to be pondered slowly. That as children of God, we ought to know that as the apostle would warn, that our adversary, the devil, goes around prowling, pawing, seeking whom he may devour. He would compare that enemy that stalks our soul as a lion, that would put himself in the advantageous position of seeing us when we cannot see him with temptation, lies, offense. He stalks us. He dogs our trail coming after us to attempt to bring down the children of God. So David, aware of that, knows he has to set his sights on the enemies that are stalking him. And in the midst of that, the writer would include our text in this pericope that would be important for history, but also for inspiration. When the Bible would say in verse 4, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and the nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. Now we learn much about Mephibosheth 
of which we knew nothing. Just seeing here in our text, verse number four, we find, number one, he was the son of Jonathan and grandson of King Saul. Quite a lineage now. This first king of Israel, anointed by the first prophet of God. Saul having Jonathan, Jonathan having Mephibosheth. What a blue blood royal line. This royalty flowing in Mephibosheth's veins, it would have given him power, prowess, financial freedom. What rested in the right hand of Saul would undoubtedly be destined to Jonathan and it would undoubtedly be destined to Mephibosheth. You would think as you look at the story as it begins that so much was waiting in the wings for Mephibosheth. But it would not be as the Bible tells us, the aforementioned defeats in Gilboa, leaving number two, Mephibosheth was an orphan because his grandfather and his father died. He was left alone. It would have been much to lose one or the other. But with leaving, if Jonathan would have died, his father then his father could have taken care of Mephibosheth. Or of course, if Saul would have died, Jonathan would have been more than enough to care for his son. But he lost them both. Such a difficult time being left alone. Number two, he was an orphan. Number three, we find that he was still in a very young age, probably around 10 to 15 years old. It's significant because him being an adolescent, it was in a season here that him suffering this injury when he was five and now five or ten years have passed where the reign of Saul is long gone. The influence of Jonathan has dissipated. Probably the memory, the role of these great men have passed away. And here he's left in such an impressionable season of his life, around 10 years old. And then fourth, we find the unfortunate assessment of his physicality. He was crippled. He was a son, but he was an orphan. He was an impressionable young man, but he was crippled. But then we're given this explanation of something of which the text does not always list why. Verse number four says he was five years old when the news about his grandfather and dad came and his nurse scooped him up and ran. And as she ran, in her haste, 
Mephibosheth fell and was injured and was lame. I want to talk to you this morning on these four points that to some extent befall us all. As we read about this nurse, as she would kindly, calmly take center stage into our text. The story that would be sometimes overlooked, but today will be examined. She was a young lady that no doubt had come to this role not without great qualifications. To be a nurse in the king's house would have been something that would have been reserved for the very best nurse. She would have been somebody that had experienced some lines on the Vita. She was somebody that had an extensive resume. She was someone that was qualified to be considered. And so, no doubt, the house of Saul, the house of Jonathan examined of all the nurses in Israel, which one will care for the son of Jonathan, the grandson of Saul? While we are out to fight, who will take care of this baby? I believe that probably this nurse was brought in, not here in this story in chapter 4, but probably she was there to take the infant from his mother's arms to nurse him, to care for him, to keep him. I believe that she was there the day that Mephibosheth was delivered. There was a bond that was between this baby and this nurse from the very beginning. She loved Mephibosheth. She would not have been brought in when he was a a toddler or a child, but no question. She was there from the beginning. An intimate bond was formed. Of course, again, Jonathan being in the house of a king, royalty, he would have had unlimited resources at his disposal. So this nurse would have been responsible. She would have been given this as her complete responsibility, if you could say this employment. She was there to care for the baby. And so when we come to this story, I want you to understand the bond between this nurse and this baby. But the first of the four things that we find and something that would happen from time to time in not a few of our lives is number one, there was tragedy. The Bible tells us that, can you can only imagine you that maybe you're watching today that you have lost an immediate family member. You know what this means. It brings back painful memories perhaps in your life as this baby's father and grandfather were both tragically killed. I want you to think this morning that maybe quickly you would be able to identify what is the tragedy in your life. Looking back and I think in my life as I look over my shoulder there 
things that have been unfortunate, but there are a couple of things, one thing that I could look in my life and I could identify and say that was a watershed moment in my wife and I's life, a loss that we incurred that no doubt, I think that from my perspective could be considered a tragedy. I ask you this morning to first identify that in your life. What was it that loss of job, loss or change of career, the time in your life where a loved one was diagnosed or a spouse left, a child broke a relationship, that tragedy in your life, you must identify that today because healing can only happen as you identify that there was or there is a loss in my life. It's your tragedy. Number two, we find that as the news of that tragedy found its way to the house of Jonathan, that that nurse was there and it was the relay of the bad news that brought, number two, fear. The Bible tells us that as soon as she heard of what had happened, she scooped up the son. She began to run with the baby. No doubt afraid that the Philistines were coming to the house to finish the job and the family. And so she was afraid and began to run with the baby, something that you should never do. And then number three, mistake. In her haste, the Bible says. Uh, this word by definition means to flee with haste or fright or, or a lack of care. She was terrified. I want you to identify those two things in your life. That after the tragedy, that there was no doubt a natural, not unnatural, a natural response of emotion and fear. But because of the iteration of fear, that sometimes, that because of the fear, because of the problem now being relayed, that we naturally made a mistake. Man, that's hard to admit, is it not this morning? That when tragedy happened in our life, as I would share this morning, that tragedy in my life was not of my own doing. It wasn't anything that I, I don't think today that I could have done better. My wife couldn't have done better. It happened. But because of that tragedy, we naturally were from time of great emotional distress and fear. Afraid of the future, afraid of that haunting past. But you come to that moment that as that re relay of that fear comes to you, that sometimes we make a mistake, we stumble, we trip. As we're trying to respond emotionally to the tragedy, in the context of the latent fear, we make a mistake and we stumble when we're trying our best to do what's right and to care for the baby. We find ourselves stubbing our toe, falling down, and we 
should not have been hurrying with the baby. We're supposed to care for the baby. We're supposed to care for what God has entrusted us with. And we make a mistake and we stumble. I want to share with somebody in Austin this morning and say that so many times in our lives there are things that happen to us that we did not ask for. And we have a natural response of emotion, of fear, of shame, or guilt. And as a natural iteration of those natural emotions to something that we were not connected to of a tragedy, that we make a mistake of the very thing that we have been trusted with, our relationship with God, our relationship with our family, our spouse, our children, our community, that that very thing that we should treasure and keep the most, that sometimes, that in a natural emotional response to the tragedy that comes to our life, we stub our toe, we skin our knee, we scrape our elbows, we dash our head. Why? Because we just made a mistake. I should have been praying. I should have been reading my Bible. I should have spent more time with my spouse. I should have spent more time with my children. I should have focused more on my walk with God. But I made a mistake. It was a natural response to the things in my life. But I just stumbled and I made a mistake. And I find myself at the end of a fall. Gravity has taken its toll. And here I am, left with finally and fourthly, the collateral damage. Can you imagine that nurse's regret as she gathered herself and stood above that baby? She knew very early on being educated and trained in the medical field. Something's wrong with Mephibosheth. He's not acting right. There's something because of the way that I fell and the way that I landed on the baby that he's not walking right. He's now unable to stand. His limbs are injured. His ankle bones aren't right. His knees won't extend. That because of the tragedy and because of my fear and because of my mistake that there is damage in the lives of the ones that I love the most. The one that that nurse was supposed to take care of and to care for. It was him. It was Mephibosheth that was injured. It was not her. She could have handled that. She could have dealt with that. I could have lived if I would have been injured, but it's my baby that was hurt and it rocks me with guilt and fear. And we find here because of tragedy, Fear, mistake, and damage were left with the nurse's regret. Standing over what she can only do is to blame herself. You may be listening to this message this morning and wondering in your life, is this not the case for me? Is there not regret 
in my life, in your life, because of things that happen in my life, tragedy, a natural emotion, fear, shame that comes from that tragedy. And then naturally, as life happens, that we have made some mistakes. And because of those mistakes, those that are nearest and dearest to us have been hurt. And we are left this morning with regret. It's easy to ask who to blame. Who should we look at? Was it the Philistines fighting? Was it Saul giving up? Was it Jonathan who risked his life by being there? Was it the nurse? Was it this? Was it my mom? Was it my dad? Was it my problem? But certainly the nurse is left with her running, blaming herself. But I want to tell you today that in all of the realities that are certainly there, the truth is, is that it's not about who to blame. I don't want you this morning to look into your life and begin to do what we so naturally do, and that is blame ourselves. Don't look around for blame. Sometimes the reality is, is that falls happen. It would be a mistake to look at the story and wonder what Saul could have done better or what Jonathan could have done better or what the nurse could have done better or what someone else in the story could have done better. But the reality is, is that this nameless nurse, certainly you could have seen her looking into her life. But I want to tell you today that what she needed to understand is the same truth that I hope will visit all of us. And that is, is that sometimes life happens. Sometimes we react to bad news and tragedy and mistake. And yes, there's things that all of us could have done differently. But I've got good news for you today that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to look into your life this morning and He is going to make good on your fall. You may have stumbled. You may have made mistakes. There may have been others around you that have been hurt. But Jesus Christ is here today to forgive you of your sins and He can make mistakes right. Bible tells us as the story continues in 2 Samuel chapter number 9 that David when he was in his power, when he was on his throne, he remembered those that were before him and he said, is there anybody from the house of Saul? Is there anybody left that was from the king's table? And so the word was relayed to him is that there was a son of the son and his name was Mephibosheth. There was one left, David. His name was Mephibosheth and he's crippled. And they brought that boy, now an adult, to the table of the king. And the Bible says that Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and he honored David. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, I am your servant. The Bible says that David told him in 2 Samuel 9 and 7, Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth, for I will show you kindness. I will restore to you the possessions of your father, and you will always eat at my table. I want to tell somebody this morning that we serve a God that's going to restore what you've lost. You serve a God that's going to bring back what you thought was absolutely impossible to be done.
done. We serve a God that knows about your fall, knows about your mistake, knows about your fear, and knows about your tragedy. But I've come to tell you today, he's going to bring that mistake back to the king's table. He's going to allow you to be restored. He's going to allow for your family to be restored. He's going to allow through the grace and the mercy of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to bring you by Golgotha's Hill this morning and let you know that the Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, that Word that was made flesh, the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. And when He hung suspended between time and eternity, He bore the iniquities of us all. And I'm going to tell you today that He has come to redeem us with grace. He has come to forgive us of our sins. If we will confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us. And He will restore us. Thank you, Jesus, for the restoration power of the mighty God that was made man and that man that was made Savior, Jesus Christ. You may be here today riddled with nurse's regret of those that you were entrusted to care for and to keep. You may feel their hurt. You may have shame in your life. But I tell you today, as we will pray and close this morning, that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is going to do a work of restoration today. Let's pray and ask the Lord to do it. Let's join hands with our COVID family. Let's ask God to restore us right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by the authority of the Word of God and the power of the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that you would allow us, Lord, as we look into our hearts, we're aware of the tragedy, the fear, the mistake, the damage. But God, let us be more aware that we have a Heavenly Father who's going to restore us today. God, I pray that you of the tribe of David, that you would call somebody to restoration today. Call that descendant. Call that one that has been hurt, that has been crippled, that has been damaged. Call them and let them know you're going to restore what the enemy has taken. You're going to bring them to the master's table. You alone, oh God, are going to allow them to eat forevermore of the grace of Jesus Christ. We pray for your blessing. We pray for your restoration. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I want to say what a blessing it has been to be with you and the sanctuary. We're praying for you. We love you. God bless you guys. God bless the readies in Jesus' name. God bless you.